I'm Richard Buse, greeting you from London, England, as we come to the sixth and last episode in our series of studies that we're undertaking on the book of 1 Peter, the New Testament, in our overall series entitled Book by Book. And with me are two helpers. And first of all is Don Carson, who's Professor of New Testament at the Trinity Evangelical School of Divinity in Illinois. And then also Dr. Paul Blackham, who works with us here in London, teaches in London as well. And together we're going to try and be your, your helpers in these precious few minutes together as we look at 1 Peter, and we're looking at now the whole of chapter 5 as we come to this last study. It's really on a sort of the Christian leadership and service in the context of glory. That's what we're roughly on about here. I won't read all of this uh, chapter, but I hope you've got your Bible with you. And let me read from, from verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen. Well, Paul, could I ask you a question right at the start? And that is, how does Peter here model the teaching of the whole letter here in this chapter? Well, it's very sweet how he addresses the elders. Uh, first of all, he appeals as a fellow elder. Well, this is the apostle nice. at the beginning, and the, you think... Well, if I was Peter, I'd let them know that so they'd pay attention. He doesn't do that because he's modelling the whole manner of service and humility. And he says, no, I'm, I'm a fellow elder. I'm a church minister, just the same. We stand together in this way. And then a witness of Christ's sufferings. So again, he, he could have said, oh, I was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Fabulous. And he is, he, we know he likes that incident because he mentions it. Uh, but he doesn't do that. He says, no, witness of Christ's sufferings. And he wants, that's what he wants to bear witness to as, as well. But then he, go, he, he, he says, be shepherds of God's flock. And that's the model of pastoral oversight he uses, presumably because that is how he himself was commissioned uh, way back in John 21, after he had, well, when he says witness Christ's sufferings, it wasn't really his finest hour, the time at the cross, mm. When he was really, was he really witnessing faithfully at that time? Not really. But Jesus restored him, which in itself is a great message that after he's... There may be elders who haven't done very well under persecution and have let Christ down badly. Well, by drawing their attention, by using the language of shepherds and sheep and tending the flock... I tend my sheep, yeah. He's literally drawing their minds back to his own reinstatement as a shepherd to the flock. And, they, and the, he goes back to this model of tend my sheep, feed my lambs, all that. And it's a wonderful moment that he's prepared to do that. And he also, go, in going back to there, the amazing thing that Jesus said to him after he was commissioned as a shepherd to tend the flock. I tell you, this is John 21 from verse 18, Jesus said to him, as soon as he said this, commissioned him as a shepherd. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and mm. someone else will dress you and lead you where you do, do, do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. 
Then he said to him, follow me. So at his moment of commissioning was also his moment where he knew that his life was going to be a life leading up to a martyrdom, but that that martyrdom would glorify God. At his moment of commissioning to be this shepherd, he set before him the whole teaching of 1 Peter, suffering then glory, or glory, glory through suffering. So in a sense, it's a fabulous place for him to take as his model for church oversight because he's bringing so much with that extra from his own life. Oh, and we want to learn from that ourselves. Anyone who takes on a position of pastoring or uh, ministry, I mean, in pastoral ministry in a church or leader of a small group or whatever, uh, we need to be aware of this lovely example that is given us in Peter. Don, why does Peter emphasize humility so much? Uh, when Peter begins to talk about humility here, he starts off by addressing young men probably initially because sometimes there is a kind of chip on the shoulder uh, amongst younger leaders, younger men, and women too for that matter, that uh, sometimes look at the older generation and say, oh, shove over you chaps and we'll show you how it's really done. But then he immediately broadens it. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We should not think of this in merely psychological terms. It's not just that God prefers people who are somewhat wimpy, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, the issue is more profound than that. The heart of all human sin is the elevation of self. It, it's trying to be like God. That, that, that's, that's what goes wrong in the garden. God becomes um, not God, but um, a peer. Um, we now pronounce what's good instead of listening to what God pronounces as good. Uh, we shake our puny fists in his face and we sing with Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. And, yes. and, 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 and all of that is arrogant. The first responsibility of any created, moral, sentient being is to acknowledge that God is God and that I am dependent. Only God is independent. I am a created being. I am a dependent being. Every breath I breathe is by his sanction. Every step I take is, is by his permission. Every beat of my heart is by his decree. In that sense, I am a completely dependent being. Humility just ought to follow from that naturally, that, that we should have to be exhorted toward it is already a mark of our profound guilt, of our profound lostness. And then to multiply that by the fact that we who are Christians mm -hmm. have, 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 have received spectacular love on the cross, God commends his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, to, to, to stand beside the cross and be arrogant is uh, unbelievable hubris. It's, it's a, a sin and distortion it beyond it. Be it can't be done. No. And, and, and thus, um, both because of creation and because of the cross, uh, humility just marks us out as we ought to be before God. It's, it's, it's not advocating groveling or sniveling. Mm. It's, 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 it's demanding that we recognize things as they really are. Mm. Humble yourselves then. And then verse 7 I'm looking at also, cast all your anxiety on him, which is a kind of classic text, really, of Bible lovers all over the world. Uh, casting all your care upon him. I mean, you can conjure up sometimes posters that are sometimes done very tastefully of you know, a little kitten curled up and it's casting all your care, you see, on the poster. But it's probably a bit deeper than that, isn't it? A bit. Um, <laughs> That, that is to say, I, I don't want to discourage any Christian anywhere from casting all his or her cares on the living God. It's right that we should do so. But again, it may, it may be in our age of um, psychobabble that we think of this as a kind of um, um, invitation to a kind of soporific uh, spirituality. 
whereas the kinds of cares that these Christians had to cast on God um, had to do with threats to life or to well-being or to job, the threats uh, to a slave who was being abused by a wicked master, uh, the, the threat of persecution, many insults. And, 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 and although it is true that we are to cast absolutely everything that bothers us upon God, this, this is the casting of, of cares upon him that is pretty serious. It does not guarantee instant psychological peace. It, what it breeds is faith. It breeds a, an acknowledgement, let God be God, I can trust him. Even with a Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And, and within this kind of framework, it, it breeds a, a tough-minded resolve rather than a kind of a wimpish kitten. Um, granted, uh, granted that sort of framework, it, this, is a, this is a pretty tough-minded sort of Christian stance uh, rather than the, the, the mark of, um, of, of uh, a, a kind of uh, merely psychologized Christianity. Indeed. In fact, there's a tough-minded enemy yeah, who's right. pursuing us and is after us as uh, verse, 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 verse... Eight goes on to say, uh, your enemy the devil prowls around. How does the devil wish to devour the Christian, as he puts it there, Paul? Well, this is the striking thing, isn't it? Sometimes we, we might think of the devil and think, oh yeah, what the devil wants to do is, get, is, is, is make us have a horrible life. But I think perhaps that isn't the way Peter's going at all. Uh, be, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. So the brothers who are resisting the devil are suffering. And I think, again, if, we, if we've noticed that Peter is, reflects on his own life and shares his own life, do you remember in Mark 8, 31, when, because he himself was devoured by the devil, and take, sort of possessed by the devil. And what moment was that? How did it happen that he did not stand firm in the faith? Mark 8, 31. Uh, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that the glory, he must be killed, and then the glory that follows after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned up to his disciples, he rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. So Peter was identified as one who'd been devoured and controlled by Satan. At that very moment, after a high, you are the Christ. Now, get behind me, Satan. So I imagine that Peter was fairly sensitive about this subject of yielding oneself to the devil and being devoured by him. And it does seem to be that the way that we do that is to say, I will not suffer Suffering is not the way. The way is ease and comfort and popularity and compromise and anonymity. Those are the ways. So in, someone's rephrased this verse and said, the devil prowls around like a roaring light looking, for some, looking to give easy lives to Christians because that is the real way that he can do what he was trying to do with Peter in Mark 8. Now, Peter learned his lesson, but he's wanting us to be careful and learn from that example. What the devil wants is for us to be anonymous, relax, for, you know, it doesn't matter. Let's be popular. Let's take it easy. Let's make the easy yeah. choices. And, and maybe what happens is that we get away from the cross. Yeah. Because if we get away from the cross, even by just half a degree off course, it's no longer quite central. It means that 10 years down the line, you're way off course, way. and you never even knew it. That's the frightening bit. 
so, so that there's a fine dividing line in all of this compromise, and just a little step over the line, and you never know where yeah. it may lead you. We keep close to Calvary, the cross, to Golgotha. Yeah. Um, well then, Don, may I ask you a question? What then is the true grace of God that Peter has written this letter to testify about? So what does it mean to stand fast in the grace of God? Encouraging you and testifying that this is here, the true grace of God, which is uh, in verse 12. Stand fast in it. Well, there's a sense, of course, in which this is picking up from verses 10 and 11. Um, the God of all grace, now he says in verse uh, 12, this is the true grace, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That is, the grace of the gospel, the grace of God in the gospel, is bound up first in Christ with suffering and then vindication and glory. So it's bound up likewise in his followers, first with suffering, then vindication and glory. Um, Paul can say likewise elsewhere, if you suffer with him, you will also uh, reign with him and so forth. And maybe even the reference to Babylon in verse 13 is picking up the same. Um, Babylon in the Old Testament becomes um, a figure for all that opposes God because, of course, at the time of the, uh, the, the great exile in the south in Judah, it was the mighty Babylonian empire that was the epitome of all that was evil. And so uh, that becomes almost a, uh, a way of referring to the Roman Empire in the New Testament on occasion. That's very common, for example, in the book of Revelation. So when, Paul, or when Peter rather here writes, she who is in Babylon, I suspect what uh, he is doing is referring to the church. As, as John elsewhere can refer to the church as a woman, so also here she, that is the sister church in Rome, who is in Babylon. At, at this point, the historical Babylon was a, a non-entity, a little village on the Tigris-Euphrates system. It was not a threat to anybody. But Rome was. Rome was the new Babylon. And, and, and so this, this, this church, which is in Rome, is, is threatened by all the power of Nero at this time with uh, huge dangers on every side. So he's saying, listen, chaps, I know what I'm talking about. I'm writing from the capital. If you think that out in the boonies, in the diaspora, there's threat, there is enormous threat here. And the church here in Babylon, uh, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings as well. Mm -hmm. And thus, um, Peter is identifying what it means to display a true gospel grit, true, true gospel grace in an atmosphere of, of, uh, of, of suffering and perseverance with, uh, with faithful witness, real glory, identifying with Christ both for this world and for the world to come. Uh, yeah. And we sisters and brothers throughout the world were called to this. It's a double calling because we were called to suffering in chapter 2 verse 21 and we're called to glory here in chapter 5 verse 10 and the calling we share together. Hey Don, Paul and I would like to thank you very very much for coming over to be with us here in London, My England. Pleasure. Where are you heading next? I have some meetings in Northern Ireland. Well we wish you God's richest blessings in the traveling, and we will see you again. My pleasure to be here. Let's have a short prayer. A loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity of being together around the book of 1 Peter. We ask that we may learn from it as to how to stand firm and steadfast with Christ as our supreme model in all things. We pray for his name's sake. Amen. Thanks for being with us. Let's do it again one day. <laughs>